Good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we begin a new series looking at the life of David. Before we do that, I want to recognize our fathers. Now, here's what happens. We have Mother's Day, and we honor our mothers and appreciate them, which we should do. But then we get to Father's Day, and what happens? We usually challenge, maybe even chastise our fathers. Now, statistics tell us the amazing impact that fathers have in the family. And one of the issues that we have is we have the perfect example that we're supposed to follow, our heavenly Father. But as I watch our fathers, yes, we are not perfect, but I watch fathers have incredible impacts and influence on their families and others. And so I want to encourage you fathers today. We trust that you will have a special and enjoyable day. But I want to encourage you and thank you as fathers for the impact that you have on your families and others in your scope of influence. And we, as Christian fathers, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, we have the ultimate example, and we have an incredible responsibility. But I know that you are striving to make a difference, and I pray that God will encourage and challenge and strengthen you each and every day in that great responsibility that you have. Now, we want to encourage you and give you a little sugar to help you with that, so I encourage fathers at the end of the service to, uh, to stop and, and grab a candy bar, and uh, now here's what happens, because I watched it happen last year. There was a father, and he had an elementary child, and what happens? The father grabs the candy bar, and the child's like, can I have it? Fathers, it's okay to keep your candy bar. I know you provide for your families, but you don't need to provide sugar for your kids. You get to keep it for yourself today. All right? So we want to honor fathers, and we want to pray for our fathers right now. And, and we're not going to ask you to stand and embarrass you, but we want to bow together and pray for you. So let's pray for fathers right now. Father, you are our heavenly Father. And Lord, I thank you for our earthly fathers. I thank you for my father, the impact that he has had in my life. I pray for each father here today. I pray that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them in the responsibility and, and the opportunity that they have to impact their family to impact others around them. I pray that you would bless them, that you would just give them wisdom and guidance in this great responsibility. I thank you for each one of them. Lord, just give them a special and an enjoyable day today as we honor our fathers. 
We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a picture coming up here. And see if you know who it is. I still. There he is. All right. Anybody know who that is? Steve Rogers. Very good. Now, if, if you're not familiar, Steve Rogers became someone really famous. Who did he become? Captain America. Now, now it's interesting. We, we see that. It's a fun story. It's a, it's a story of a skinny kid who loved his country. He tried to join the military, and he wasn't allowed. He was, he was picked on. But the army was looking for someone to use for a special project. And if you remember the story, they, they were searching, and, and a couple people came across Steve Rogers, and he was the choice, even though... You look at him, and he would have been the last one chosen. But a couple people that were involved in choosing the one saw something different in Steve Rogers that made him the perfect choice. What was that? Uh, you knew his name was Steve Rogers. You watched the movie. Character. He had character when, when many of the others who were much more physically imposing lacked the character that was needed for the job. When they had the fake grenade go off, or it wasn't going to go off, it was set up to see who would be the one that would demonstrate heroic character. It was Steve Rogers. While all the others ran, he jumped on the great grenade, willing to sacrifice himself to protect those around him. When fame came, he remained humble. But I have a little problem with the story. By the way, the story's fictional. It didn't really happen, in case you were wondering. But... The story plagiarized. And, and when you take something from someone else, you need to recognize them. And the people who uh, produced Captain America forgot to recognize the place that the story was taken from. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 16... We have the story with the theme, the idea, the principle from which we get Captain America. And that was the story of a skinny teenager who God chose because God recognized his character. And he became a hero. And by the way, I enjoyed the movie Captain America, but... The story in First and Second Samuel is much better than the story of Captain America. And over the summer, we're going to be looking at the life of David. And this morning, as we begin examining that life, we're, we're going to 
examine why was David God's choice? David was the nobody that God chose. Let's begin by looking at the story this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, the Bethlehemite for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Saul was the first king of Israel. Physically he was imposing, but he lacked in character. And we see that the kingdom was taken from Saul. While his reign started out well, in the last few chapters, we read that he failed miserably. We see that he made a terrible decision in 1 Samuel 13. As the, Saul and the army were preparing to fight against the Philistines, they were scared and, and the men were hiding. And Samuel was supposed to come and to offer a sacrifice, and that's how God had set it up. He was supposed to offer a sacrifice before they went into battle, but Samuel didn't show up at the expected time. So instead of waiting for Samuel... Saul chose to make the sacrifice himself, which went against God's law. But he was afraid and the people were restless. He disobeyed God because he thought that he had a better idea. And then we see in 1 Samuel 14 that Saul made a rash vow. He wanted to show the soldiers that he was in control and he had the situation in hand, so he made a vow that they would fast before the battle. Well, it was a foolish idea, but his own son Jonathan was out scouting with another man and had, did not hear the vow, and Jonathan and, his, and the man with him took an eight before they went and killed a group of Philistines. But Saul's rash vow made Jonathan the one who unintentionally broke it. But Saul was willing to kill his own son in order to display that he was in control. Fortunately, God intervened and Jonathan was spared. But we see in 1 Samuel 15 that, that Saul openly disobeyed God. They were fighting against a man named King Agag and his army. And, and God said, because of the wickedness of this people, that everything needed to be destroyed. But Saul decided to keep some things for himself and his men. And then when confronted with his disobedience, he made excuses why he chose to do it. And in 1 Samuel 15, we, we read those familiar lines, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken in the fat of rams, because Saul, after he was caught red-handed, said, oh, well, we were going we to save some things to sacrifice, which really wasn't the reason they were saving the things. But God, through Samuel, reminded Saul that obedience was most important. And so as, as Saul continued to disobey God and, and choose his own plan, God said, that's enough. I'm going to take the kingdom from Saul. 
And so God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. There was going to be a new king, and this time it was going to be God's choice. The people chose Saul. Now, God allowed them to do that, but God was going to be the one to choose his successor. And we find in the story here in 1 Samuel 16 that there are several characters or groups that are, that are introduced. Unfortunately, in this portion of Scripture, almost all of them made bad decisions. They had it wrong. And so we're going to begin by looking at those who had it wrong. We see the nation of Israel had it wrong. They wanted a king so they could be like everyone else around them. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now you have to understand, the nation of Israel stood out because they were ruled by God. The others had kings. They were monarchies. But the nation of Israel was following the leadership of God. But the, but the people looked, and, and yes, Samuel's sons were making some very bad choices, and Samuel was getting up in age, and so they said, we want to be like everyone else. We want to fit in with the crowd. Samuel warned them about the dangers of having a king and what that would entail in their lives. But they chose to be like the nations around them. So we see they, they made a foolish, a wrong decision. <clears throat> and then we see Saul. We find that Saul was more concerned about his image than his character. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30, we see after he had, he had uh, taken and kept some of the things and, and had spared the life of King Agag and was confronted by Samuel. And uh, we see Saul's response in verse 30 of 1 Samuel 15. He said, Then he, Saul, said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. There are several important things to notice in this verse. Samuel had just told Saul that God was taking his kingdom from him. But what was Saul most concerned about? What the people would think. What is missing from Saul's statement? Now he said, I have sinned, but he chose not to change direction. We see in the previous verses that he was busy making excuses for his sin. Also notice there in verse 30 the, the difference in the terms that Saul uses. He talks about my and your. He spoke of his people, but Samuel's God. And to understand the context of the story there, he wanted Samuel to walk with him, to give the impression that everything was okay. Samuel was God's representative with the people, and Saul thought that if he and Samuel would walk out together, that, that the people would, would see Samuel and, God, and Saul together and say, okay, everything's all right. He was more concerned about looking good than doing right. 
And in the next chapters, we see Saul as someone who is proud, who is disobedient, and who is jealous. And then we come to Samuel, the man of God. Now, it's important to recognize that during most of Samuel's life, he made some very godly, some difficult godly choices. But here in this chapter of his story, we see that he made a couple choices that demonstrated a lack of faith. Samuel chose to fear Saul rather than trust God. In 1 Samuel 16, the next two verses, we began by reading verse 1, but continuing on in the story in verse 2 and 3, it says, And Samuel said, How can I go? God had just told him to go to Bethlehem and anoint a new king. So Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. God said, Samuel, you need to do this. Now, many times... He chose to obey God when it was dangerous or difficult. But here he got too busy looking in fear at the king and his power rather than trusting God to provide and take care of him. He couldn't trust God's provision and protection because he feared the power and jealousy of King Saul. But not only did he choose to fear Saul rather than trust God, but he also looked for the wrong character traits in the new king. Go down to verses 6 and 7 of 1 Samuel 16. Beginning in verse 6, it said, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it was great. We went back into the uh, history of Israel and photography there, and we actually came up with a picture of Eliab, and we've got it here. A picture, there he is. That's Eliab. Or someone similar. You remember, anybody know what that picture is from? Beauty and the Beast, Gaston, right? And he was the one, and, and all the girls would swoon, and all the guys were jealous of Gaston. I mean, he was amazing, but that's what Eliab was like. When Eliab walked into the room, everybody noticed. He was an imposing figure. And he was so impressive physically that when he walked in front of Samuel and the sons of Jesse were going to walk through by Samuel, when, when he walked through, even though he was the first one, Samuel said, this has got to be the one. I mean, look at him. But God said, no, Samuel. He's not the one I've chosen. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Now, Samuel should have known better. Because he could 
replay something that happened earlier from 1 Samuel chapter 9. Notice what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 2. And this is speaking of Saul's father. It says, and he, Saul's father, had a choice and handsome son. Now we're introduced to Saul, whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. For his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Just like Eliab, Saul stood out. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Just like Eliab, when Saul walked into the room, everyone noticed. And the people followed Saul, and and he was an impressive guy to stand behind. But yet, as time went on, and his reign actually started pretty good, but as time went on, his character flaws were exposed. And so Samuel had watched that take place over the previous years. But he hadn't learned the lesson that it's character that counts. And so without considering character, Samuel, in his mind, chose Eliab. Because just like Saul, he was physically Impressive. You know, there is one more group in the story that also missed out on what was most important, and that's David and his family. Or not David and his family, David's family, excuse me. David's family, they did not recognize the character and potential of David. So let's get a little more background here over verses 3 through 9. The the, uh, people come, the the brothers of David come, seven. He had seven older brothers, Eliab, and then it lists the next two, and then the the next four it doesn't even list. It says, and the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. And, And through all seven of David's older brothers, as they walked before Samuel, God said, nope, nope, nope. Seven times. But then something strange happened. There was no one else in line. And I'm sure in Samuel's mind, he was wondering, okay, God said that he was going to point out it was one of Jesse's sons, and these seven have walked by us, There's no one else here, but God hasn't said yes. And so Samuel turns to Jesse, and he says, are these all your sons? And guess what? Notice verses 10 and 11, 1 Samuel 16. It says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he, Jesse, said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. 
Jesse forgot to invite all his sons to the family gathering. Maybe you've been in that situation where everybody gets together and they leave you out. He forgot to invite David. Now, from the wording here, I don't think it was that it slipped his mind. It was the fact that Jesse couldn't picture David as a king. He was a young teenager. He was the runt of the litter. In fact, that word that we translate youngest, the Hebrew word adds more significance, not just the youngest in age, it emphasizes insignificance. Jesse didn't even think his youngest son was significant enough to be invited to the party. You see, Jesse missed out. Now, we see other times in Jesse's life where he was a very good father. But in this story, he messed up. And we notice not only David's dad in the story, but David's brothers. And, and we don't get much of a, an, a picture of them here in chapter 16, other than they were marched before Samuel, and Samuel, nope, 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 seven times for the seven older brothers. But we, we get a little glimpse of Eliab's character in the next chapter. Next chapter is famous, David and Goliath, but Eliab was involved in the story. And we see that in 1 Samuel 17, 28. It says, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. David was speaking to the men. Well, I'll fight Goliath if no one else will. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. You see, Eliab, and this is after God had Samuel anoint David as king, and Eliab watched it. He should have recognized there was something about that kid brother. But all he could think of was, oh man, he is a nuisance. He's coming here to cause a problem. And so we see that Eliab rebuked David. He questioned David's character when actually David was sent to the battle by the direction of his father and he was being an obedient son. And instead of checking David's character, Eliab should have been examining his own attitudes, his own actions. He was a physical specimen. He was a trained soldier, but he was not willing to stand for God and fight Goliath. Instead, he spent his time insulting his kid brother. And so we see that, that many of the characters missed what was most important here in 1 Samuel 16. And there was one who had it right, and his name was David. He was a man after God's own heart. 
And David's character, although he was imperfect, and over the summer we'll see some of his imperfections come out, we see that more than once he was given the attribute of being a man after God's own heart. In Acts chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, they're reviewing the history of Israel and God's work in that nation. And so here's what it says, beginning in verse 21 of Acts 13. It says, And afterward they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he, God, had removed him, he raised up for them David as king. What's talking about here in 1 Samuel 16. To whom also he, God, gave the testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now, a couple of things stood out that are revealed in David's character, even though he was young, even though he did not have a lot of respect amongst his family and others. But notice his character coming out here in 1 Samuel 16. While we don't know the details of what happened when they sent someone to get David, we can imagine that David realized that he had been slighted and ignored, even by his own father and family. Someone went out there to the hillside to get David and said, Oh, David, by the way, your family is there with Samuel, and, and they need you to come. First thing that would have gone through my mind, why, why is my family there with Samuel? What's going on? And I'm sure, although he was young, he could put two and two together and recognize that no one gave him much credit. But you'll notice how he responded. I know how I might have responded. <laughs> they don't want to invite me? Guess what? Either I'm not going to show up. I mean, he didn't even know it was necessarily a crowning of a king. Or maybe it says once he got the, uh, the position... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to make life miserable for them. They've made it miserable for me. They think I'm worthless. I'm going to make them feel worthless. Could have been easy for him to show disrespect when he wasn't treated fairly. But there's no sign of this attitude in his response if you read the rest of chapter 16 and, and following. We see also in verse 13 that he was led by the Spirit of God. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And also he wasn't controlled by pride. What did he do after finding that God had chosen him to be the next king? He went down to the local instaprints, got business cards made up. David, king. No, didn't do that. Didn't go and practice putting on crowns. Didn't even tell his dad, sorry, dad, I'm royalty now. Royalty don't take care of sheep. No, what did he do? He went back to the fields and took care of the sheep. Not only that, you'll see in the next verses that King Saul was having some issues King Saul was basically becoming 
an incredibly abusive and controlling, jealous man. And David went and played music to soothe Saul, which in many ways was a very humbling position to be in. But he did it without complaint. He demonstrated his character. While David was far from perfect, he was a man after God's own heart. But what about our lives? Some lessons for my life. You know, we see each of these stories, and they're amazing stories, as we will go through the life of David. But, but each one of them teaches us things that we can take to, in our lives today. We need to realize that God is working. We need to be watching. David knew that God was at work. While he was living a life of obscurity, he knew that God was and would continue to work in and through his life. So when God made the call for David to step up as king, he was ready because he was watching for God's hand. How many times in our lives do we sit there and say, oh, whoops, I guess I missed that. <laughs> we need to be prepared. God's at work. Be watching. Also, God has a plan. Trust him. Now, Jesse seems to be a good father. But obviously, David, especially by his brothers and evidently sometimes even by his father, was disrespected, unappreciated. But yet, David could respond with a right attitude because he knew that God was the one who had the ultimate plan and he could trust him. He could trust him when fighting Goliath, but he also could trust him while he was tending sheep on a hillside. And David could say, as he wrote in what we have recorded as Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want and goes on in verse 4 to say, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David writing about his God, his Father, the one that he knew he could trust. And finally, God can use you. Be ready. David was ready when called upon to protect the sheep. And he was ready to be called upon when he was, or he was ready when he was called upon to be the leader of the nation. Just like David, God desires to use you, but you need to be ready. God is at work, be watching. God has a plan, trust him. And God desires to use you, be ready. Can you imagine sitting on a hillside watching some sheep? It's a dangerous job, but yet very lonely. And someone comes and says, hey, David, you need to come into town. Samuel's there. Sacrifice. Your family's been called out. Hmm. I wonder what's going on. But as he stepped up, was anointed with the oil. Now, by the way, it was many years before he actually took the position. 
but he was prepared that day. We need to be prepared. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. I pray that you would help us to recognize that you are in control and that we can trust you. Help us to be like David in this story, a man of character, when others around him were clueless. Lord, help us to be men and women of character in our lives as we're prepared to follow and serve you and to be used by you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.